Support for the WSHU podcast Off the Path comes from Opair in America, live in cultural childcare by young adults from around the world. Opairinamerica.com. The Hutchinson family from Lynn, Massachusetts, was one of the most popular American musical groups of the mid 19th century. Family members were lifelong friends with Frederick Douglass. They also kept company with a man who built a mechanical messiah he hoped would usher in a new age of peace. This is Off the Path from WSHU Public Radio. I'm Davis Donovan. I find history's weird twists and turns on the road from New York to Boston. And like you, I'm sheltering in place. But here's a story I explored beforehand. Thirteen brothers and sisters made up the Hutchinson family singers. They toured the United States and Europe, and they drew crowds of thousands of people. They were a white family that took up the cause of abolition. It was controversial. They got attacked for it in the press and faced angry mobs. They even wrote Abraham Lincoln's campaign song, performed here by Ronnie Gilbert. Fight till our banners victorious One brother, Jesse Hutchinson, served as the group's manager, and he's the one who moved the family to a hilltop compound in the seaside town of Lynn, Massachusetts, north of Boston. Today, that hilltop is a popular park with an amazing panorama of the area around Boston. Up here, this is a clear day, you know. Local historian Tom Dalton. All you have to do is look and see the view. You can see Boston, the South Shore, all the way to the North Shore. The Hutchinsons were good friends with another Lynn resident, the famous abolitionist Frederick Douglass. But Jesse made a lot more friends in Lynn than just Douglass. There were a lot of so-called radicals in Lynn, Quakers and abolitionists, and Jesse was in the middle, but he was quite an eccentric guy. Jesse built a series of stone cottages up and down the hill and a huge wooden tower at the pinnacle. It's amazing. You know, at one point, this was a compound with 14 or 15 buildings, 40 or 50 people. They turned into a little community up here. Jesse needed water for his family's land, so he turned to mystical techniques. To find water up here, uh, you know, you're on a big rock, and he brought a clairvoyant up here, and they they found a spring uh, and had a well, and that's what supplied water to everyone up here. It worked. It did. He did it. Whether or not a clairvoyant really found an unknown spring, the family took the supernatural seriously. Jesse took part in seances and said he communicated with dead family members. And he was generous. And Jesse let his house out to everybody. Any reformer, everybody could come stay. Jesse Hutchinson passed away in 1853. The same year, a guest showed up named John Murray Spear. He'd been a prison reformer and a universalist minister. But like Jesse, he was drawn to the spiritualist movement. John Busher is the author of a book about Spear. He says many 19th century progressives saw a natural connection to spiritualism. What was driving that connection was some very strong conviction that they were at the dawn of a new era, that something was happening at the time that was going to change the world, and that was some great infusion of spiritual guidance. Spear said the spirits of Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, and other historical figures came to him and gave him a mission. He was to build a mechanical messiah that would bring a new age of peace and love. His ethereal bosses told him it would be called the new motive power. They called it heaven's last best gift to mankind. He was getting daily instructions 
on what their intent would be and what to build and how to construct something. John wasn't sure in his own mind what the point of it all is, how it was going to work, but he was regarding himself as a mere instrument. Spears set up shop in one of the cottages on the hill. He worked day and night to build something, some kind of contraption made of metal, wood, and gears. One account depicted it a little like a cross between a typewriter, a clock, and an automaton. He even worked a dining room table into the design. Busher says it had a random, mishmashed look. Venturing what the thing might have looked like, it's all very speculative. You can kind of put together what it looked like, but there's no blueprint as such. The new motive power made its debut in the fall of 1853. Speer gathered a crowd of abolitionists, spiritualists, and newspaper reporters on the hill. He and a few helpers performed a ritual designed to birth the machine into the world. And then they waited. It wasn't doing its thing. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't move, really. It just kind of sat there. I think for John Murray Speer and his followers, it became a matter of just waiting for something to happen and nothing happened. Busher says Spear was humiliated. It became the butt of local wags around Boston and Lynn, became infamous in a way, either a joke or a blasphemy or whatever. Spear took the new motive power to a barn in upstate New York. He later claimed an angry mob destroyed it. Busher says he's not so sure. He thinks maybe Spear just said that so he could have an excuse to be done with it. You know, maybe I've spent too much time in the company of con artists, but it occurs to me to ask who benefited most from the story of its destruction. Let me ask this. You mentioned, you know, you spent a lot of time around con artists. He seems like in a lot of ways he was a sincere person. I mean, he was an abolitionist. I mean, and you say, like, you think he really cared. I mean, do you think he thought sincerely that this was real? There were a lot of people who speculated about various kinds of utopias and various reforms and stuff, who imagined other worlds and so on. But he's really unique, isn't he, in the fact that he was willing to push that belief and lead it to the end. This was evidence that he really believed that something was about to happen. Tom Dalton, the historian, says Spear and the Hutchinson's ideas may seem a little out there to us today, but he says they came from the same open minds that led them to fight against slavery. These are the people who end up leading the way sometimes. You know, people, they'll be, they're ridiculed, they were attacked, beaten. They're really good people. You know, you realize they are so sensitive to people who are less fortunate, people in prison, people who are poor. They had a sensitivity that uh, most other people didn't possess. This is Off the Path from WSHU Public Radio. I'm Davis Donovan. I'll be taking a break from the road for a while as we all shelter in place. But I'll still bring you stories of amazing history from New York to Boston, just not physically on the road. Stay safe.